dear listener. Thank you for downloading, streaming, listening to the Spooky Doings podcast. My name is Rick Guzman. I'm an improv comedian from New York. Uh, the day that we're recording this is Easter. So uh, happy Feast of the Zombie Christ for those that celebrate. Um, I advise you, if you listen to this podcast, you probably already know. If you mean anyone who has come back from the dead, you must chop off their head and burn their motherfucking body. Joining me today uh is the wonderful lovely zombie killer herself uh i've lost count of how many she's taken out in my presence uh she is chelsea bennington hello chelsea 547 but who's counting so (laughs) (laughs) um yeah easter is an interesting holiday i think uh as a kid yeah, and I growing up in the Bible Belt, it was of course a very important holiday, not as important as Christmas. Um, because I guess a birthday is more impressive than coming back to life. Um, but anyway, I, I just cared about the candy um and the Easter egg hunt. That's and getting more candy. So I I hated the idea of the Easter bunny scared the hell out of me i was scared of bunnies for a while solely because of the easter bunny because that is a frightening idea like santa already a little creep but a a giant bunny that walks like a human well i'm assuming it walks like a human and leaves baskets of eggs in your house that's weird who came up with that um i'm glad you mentioned that uh, we live in very unusual and, dare I say, stupid times. So there are a lot of people out there who are, I mean, they're still a minority, but they're being very loud. They don't want their kids to learn about sexuality too early. Okay, fine. Though A lot of those same people are going to spend their day indoctrinating their children through chocolate into celebrating what is a repurposed pagan fertility rite. Ooh, that's a good point. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's bizarre. spring, Spring fertility, everybody go out and hump. So you've got eggs. Rabbits fuck a lot and make other little rabbits. Don't ask me how chocolate mixes into things uh unless there's an apocryphal book where luke or timothy talk about the dessert that they brought to the last supper that they found the finest chocolatier in nazareth (laughs) i don't know how that works into the equation but you've 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 got to recognize the people that claim to be against indoctrination, working real hard to indoctrinate people of all ages. Um, and I just look at him like, do you not, are you not paying attention to what the fuck you're doing? But what do I know? Maybe they're against other people uh, infringing on their gimmick. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's so strange because as a child, you only soak in so much and it's usually like, you know, the very tiny details. So for church, what I remember is nothing about the story, nothing about the impact, you know, that, that his resurrection, you know, had, or even the crucifixion. But I just remember getting super excited about little cup of grape juice and a little wafer 
and Easter candy. Like I, I, I didn't care about the other things, or at least I just don't even remember them very clearly. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, Easter Bunny's weird. I just don't understand why he had to come into, he's what I'm upset about. It's the Easter Bunny. <laughs> That's what I'm really upset about. <laughs> Be, being, being raised Catholic, I got all of the grisly uh, details mm. and the passion play, which was written to kind of take the heat off uh, the Romans and Jesus being executed by the state. And it's like, it's the Jews' fault. No, 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 you're, you're doing a scapegoat thing. And uh, now I'm old enough to see through it. But yeah, the, the, the bunny thing, um, just that's, that's how a lot of conquering religions did things. It's like, let's take the iconography of the people we're trying to uh, control and just repurpose the story if you will, to suit our uh, specific needs. Make it kid-friendly. I, yeah, get them while they're young. That's a big part of religion. Um, and uh, the Catholic Church is really stuck to that part of the religion. Bazinga. Yeah, it's real kid-friendly over there, eh? Some would say too much, and uh, candy plays a big part of it. Ew. <laughs> um. One, the last thing, I because this is not an Easter episode, but one thing I always find funny as well, and I think there's photos of me in this situation, um, is how terrifying mall Easter bunnies look. <laughs> like, especially in the 80s and 90s, it, it looked like actual just soul-sucking demons. Yeah. The poor, uncomfortable child on the, on the lap. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, what a time. Anyway, I do miss getting candy. Those little Reese's pieces in the shape, in a bag that was the shape of a carrot. That's Easter to me. Well, you, we, you can get candy anytime. I, that's one thing that I, I don't understand about continuing the celebration. It's like, no, I, I, I make money. I can go purchase candy. Mm -hmm. We're good. I can um, purchase good candy, not a stupid Easter chocolate bunny that doesn't even taste good. And I'll go you one further, not to snitch on myself digitally, but if at your local uh, mall, uh, the Easter Bunny were to be accosted and beaten down a la Jay and Silent Bob and mall rats, um, you were with me on that entire day. Love it. I'm going to have to cut that out. I'm kidding. <laughs> kidding. That's not why we're here today. <laughs> no, no. Derailed already. Happy Easter. Yeah, we we we're we're taking the listener on a journey, and we, I'm thankful that you know they 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 come on this journey with us uh, every couple of weeks. Um, but we're going to talk about our favorite endings in horror because um, there's a lot of them, or at least the uh, three that I've come up with to talk about. <laughs> uh, but I am a gentleman, so ladies first, Chelsea. Uh, what do you want to discuss today? All right, so. To get to the endings, you have to start at the beginning. No, I'm kidding. I'm not gonna <laughs> tell a whole a whole film plot. Not um, false. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was really excited because there was um, one movie that immediately came to mind when you suggested uh, this plot. Like, just no, no hesitation in my head because 
Oh, I love it so much. Still do. And that is um, the ending of the 2019 film, Ready or Not. Ah, good one. Yeah, it's, oh my gosh. So for people who haven't, I mean, obviously this episode's spoiler heavy. If you click an episode called Favorite Endings and then you're like, oh, I didn't want to know how it ended. You're dumb. Um, <laughs> Try not to insult the audience. I know, sorry. <laughs> But yeah, we're going to spoil the shit out of these films. And if you haven't watched them, pause us and rectify that immediately because you are a smart and attractive listener. Yes, yes, yes. What he said. I will sign off on that. Um, but Ready or Not is about, you know, uh, a woman who marries into a very rich family, a family that's um, old money wealth from uh, games, uh, just basically every like what board game and silly silly tabletop game there not just not just any woman so Mara Weaving the babysitter herself Mm -hmm. marries in to uh an evil version of the Milton Bradley family there you go I couldn't think I was trying to think of the name of that big conglomerate and it just it's escaping me anyway it's a little early you're sipping coffee I'll carry you (laughs) thank you thank you get on my my back you've carried me before it's okay (laughs) figuratively uh, not not literally i am i am a chunky man i can i can try i've been i've been working out more so who knows? getting buff i'm getting buff um oh god anyway <laughs> so <laughs> jesus christ what are we talking about uh so this movie, <laughs> so, samara weaving who is one of my favorite scream queens she does have indeed one of the best screams ever um but anyway, she marries into this wealthy family and they have a tradition at when they have a wedding in the family um, of the bride or groom, whoever's marrying into the family, picks a from a little, whatever you call it, twisty, puzzly type of thing. Um, box, some mystery a, a box. box. Yeah, God, <laughs> it's a box. <laughs> and they pick they they have to pick the game and uh of course they don't know what they're picking and it's it can be as easy as oh you picked parcheesi oh you picked you know checkers or something like that but if you pick hide and seek you have to play a very dangerous game of hide and seek <laughs> you went full moira rose there bro i know y'all this is gonna be a ride um and ready or not ready or not (laughs) um anyway david where are you (laughs) so uh when when the game starts you know of course she thinks it's an innocent hide and seek game thinks it's a little weird the house is filled with it's a mansion it's insane and so she just thinks all right i'm gonna hide in the dumbwaiter this is just a, a quirky rich family and then she quickly realizes that they are hunting her um so it's hide and seek they the family has different weapons and the lore of the family is um if they don't kill her by by sunrise um the family the entire family will die will eradicate in what way we don't know but that's why it's so important to kill her and i won't get into the specifics of her stupid husband but you know 
so many ways he could have gone about this. <laughs> so he really does. Uh, he proves to be an asshole in the end anyway. But the great thing about watching the movie is the entire time, like you're on the journey with Samara weaving of, and you're wanting her out. Like, you know, you're rooting for her. This family's insane. Um, they're starting to get picked off. Well, not necessarily the family getting picked off. Their maids are getting picked off one by one. Um, and then family members do like start to die or get hurt. And it's getting closer to dawn and closer to dawn. And you can't help but think, at least me as a viewer, I was like, is the end going to be nothing happens? Because part of me was thinking that, that the end was going to be nothing happens. That, that, that does get teased yeah. for a couple of beats which is great. It's like, oh, you've done all of this shit and nothing, nothing. You're, you're full of shit. Mr. Bilal, Bilal, I can't remember. Oh my God. Moment. Yeah. What is it? I have that. This is not real. There is no curse. You've got blood on your hands, you dumb rich dicks. And that was what I, where I was thinking it was going to go. And I was not going to be disappointed if, if that's where it went. I was hoping I was even hoping to see Samara Weaving, like, take them all out um, and that be, you know, what happens to them. So at the end, it's very intense. She gets out of the trap. Dawn is coming. Um, she's screaming her head off, and just like uh, backing herself into a corner with a weapon. Um, and you think they might be in the clear. And then suddenly the family just starts blowing up from the inside, exploding one by one. And it's amazing. It's just pop, pop, pop. And, and like, you know, the ones that are even off screen, you hear, you hear them explode. And a geyser of blood so and bristle and assorted effluvia just it's, hitting the walls. And it's, it's so... Thing good and right when she tells her husband she wants a divorce like he blows up it ends with her like drenched in blood torn up you know wedding dress converses um very attractive to me looking very very attractive no she's freaking hot but um you know it ends with her like on the steps of this mansion burning and and lighting a cigarette and uh i just I love that it did end up selling the ending of there was an actual curse <laughs> and they were going to die. I what again, I wasn't going to be disappointed either way, but I think I was just more delighted that it did end up being real. Um, and not only did it end up being real, but it wasn't like they started choking or, and like passively like dying or anything like that or or disappearing like fading into you know ashes or something it was just explosions so that's why it's one of my favorite horror movie endings it just it, it's it makes it so much fun to watch with someone like I remember when we went and saw it and that started happening the audience was kind of laughing gasping like okay um and I love introducing the movie to people because of that ending like I'm just excited to see their reaction to that ending um so I've watched it several times like I watched it with my roommate I watched it with my sister and my best friend um so yeah it, that's the movie that immediately comes to mind with favorite horror movie endings it, it is so good it is so over the top 
Um, and and you, I like that you get a little glimpse of Bilal in his chair, uh, giving some kind of acknowledgement, uh, pun intended, game recognized game. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> Haven't heard it described that way. That's a very good pun. And uh, it's another reason not to attend weddings, uh, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and one thing, and this isn't the ending, but I just love that scene where uh, where the car drives off that she's trying to signal down and she's just like fucking rich people. <laughs> like uh -huh. it's a great eat the rich movie. And we've been having a delicious array of those films in the past couple of years. So um, yeah, I love it. It's a good one. It's a good one. The one that, that came to my mind immediately uh, is, is Dark. And it's The Mist, which was directed by Frank Darabont, uh, based on the Stephen King story. Um, and as uh, everybody ought to know, uh, there's a mist. There's things in the mist. People lock up in uh, a supermarket to ride it out. And not only are the creatures a problem, the people are a problem. We, to quote Bill Hicks, wear a virus with shoes. Uh, no good, definitely not good at all. Uh, but for all of the, the scares, the tension in that movie, I admittedly do not have a contingency plan for giant interdimensional monsters, uh, some of whom are very spider-like in nature. I got nothing. I got nothing. I'm not living through this uh, if it were to actually happen. Uh, and from what I hear, I've not read the story. Uh, it's my understanding that the story ends kind of like with a journal entry of we're just going to keep chugling on into the mist. And Frank Darabont didn't want to do that. So he takes our, our protagonist, led by Tom Jane himself, into the mist, and his Jeep runs out of gas. And he has a gun, and he's got, I believe, four bullets left. And there's five of them in the car. And he takes everybody out, including his own son. He doesn't want, these people don't want to die suffering. He makes a very difficult decision. Takes him out, gets out of the car, and he's, he's waiting for something in the mist to, to end his misery. And then the mist fades. And then the army is seen, the military is rescuing people. He sees a woman that that people in the supermarket refuse to help get home. She's riding in a, some kind of convoy with her kids that she's made it to, and he just starts screaming at the fucking sky in his grief and madness. If he'd have waited five more minutes, his boy wouldn't have been shot in the face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I I've seen the mist once um and that doesn't speak to the quality of the film I I enjoyed it and that ending I have I have a funny story about that ending that I don't know if I've told you I don't believe so go ahead so my my best friend and I used to work at um a museum in Savannah 
And uh, when we were working there, we would sometimes work at the ticket desk. So the front desk where, you know, tourists buy their tickets to go through the museum. And, you know, the museum had its uh, slow days and, you know, uh, busy days or slow mornings, busy afternoons. And there was one where it was particularly slow and we didn't notice that somebody was there um, at the, uh, like not right at the ticket desk, but he was standing around, probably waiting for his family to leave the gift shop. And um, it's a very, it was a small museum. And my best friend and I were randomly, oh, because I watched it for the first time. I, I watched it for the first time and I was telling her, you know, wow, that ending was crazy. <laughs> like, oh my God. And she was telling uh, me about when she first watched it. And we were just like over explaining the ending to each other, how crazy it was, like, you know, doing deep dives into it where we read like Stephen King liked that ending, you know, even better and things like that. But we're describing like the scene in detail. And the guy, we just suddenly hear a guy go, what movie are you talking about? Like just almost terrified. And we were like, oh, The Mist. He's, and then he's just like, okay, cool. I think I might watch it. <laughs> I just loved the idea of this ending was completely ruined for this guy, the way we were talking about it. But he was so taken aback and intrigued by our conversation. I don't know, maybe that story isn't as funny as I thought it was, but I always think of it with The Mist. I, I have frequently said, I don't think anybody avoids watching a movie because of a spoiler i mean if Same. especially one that's been out for a while i i envy uh people like our friend angelica who's been on the show who watched psycho not knowing that it was norman bates's movie she that's thought so it was marion crames uh, but yeah some sometimes you you hear about it it's just in the zeitgeist and you're like i'm gonna fucking watch it anyway because sometimes you're like, oh, I want to see the journey to that ending. Mm -hmm. Like what drives that type of ending? Yeah, that ending was, uh, I didn't like, again, because I've only watched it once and it was maybe 10 or 11 years ago. You might be due. I know, maybe I should. I do love Thomas Jane. Um, but anyway, uh, when he sees the the people come through to rescue after the mist um doesn't isn't there like a woman that like escaped earlier yes, or yes. they didn't believe or something like she she yeah, I, I, I mentioned that uh early in the film she chooses to leave the supermarket oh and, I didn't and ask for help and says uh won't anyone see a lady home and nobody fucking goes so she went on her own she rescued her own damn kids. Whatever her story is, is hers alone. And uh, that most likely helps uh, Thomas Jane's descent into madness. It's like, oh, you, you, you had a bitch ending. <laughs> you know, th this woman did her thing. Uh, the, she ain't, she don't need no man. She got it done you done fucked up. Did you first see this movie in theaters? No, I didn't because, and I regret it, to be honest with you, because I had been disappointed by a lot of uh, novel adaptations into film. And I thought, you know what, I'll just watch it in the home. And then uh, once I got to the end, I'm like, I made a mistake. <laughs> 
I should have gone to the theater to see it. And maybe one day I'll get lucky and like maybe Alamo Draft House will show it or uh, out on Huntington, Long Island, the Cinema Arts Center has been uh, showing uh, older films that have kind of a, uh, a cult following or they, they just have some fun with movies. Maybe one day I'll get lucky and I'll, I'll take the trek out there and support that small uh, local theater because uh, they got some good stuff from time to time. Uh, shameless plug for them. Um, and there's like a black and white version of it, right? Like I've heard about that. I've yeah, seen it. like that. I don't know if the director wanted it and in, intended for it to be black and white. I can't remember why necessarily there's a black and white version. Um, Just because he can, I suppose. <laughs> fair. <laughs> I know um, there's some directors that have said like, they originally wanted their movie in black and white, but the studio usually goes against it, um, which seems, which tracks. But yeah, I think I am due to watch that again because I forgot about the lady. I just knew she was, I couldn't remember if it was the same lady in the store or if she had some other meaning. Um, and uh, the the religious lady that you hate. Marsha Gayhart. Yeah. Such a great performance. I mean, she is a great actress, yes. But, um, that character is uh, just a cunt. <laughs> <laughs> um, nice. Yeah, I think I will watch it again. Yay! We're Yay. swaying people. We're, does this make me an influencer now? I you are not. an influencer. <laughs> you're you're an influencer. Look at you. Endorsements. You should get um. You should get sponsors, like hot sauce. Hot sauce sponsors. I'll take free hot sauce and, and plug <laughs> liberally, uh, unless your hot sauce is uh, mild and bitchly. I don't want that. Mild hot sauce makes no sense to me. Does that even, what What even, what are you? <laughs> Can you call yourself hot sauce if you're mild? You're not hot. Uh, a little added oomph, I guess, for... Uh, the type of person that only eats tacos on a Tuesday and think it thinks it makes them edgy. Um, you can put makeup on a pig and it's still a pig. So I'm, I made a batch of wings this past Tuesday and they were downright abusive. I have been, um, I mean, both of us watch, I'll, I'll dive into my ending in just a second, which actually has to do with heat. So this works out really well. Um, my, uh, I'm going to sound like a, like a teenager, but on TikTok, I still, I, I keep having TikToks come up on my feed of clips from hot ones, mm -hmm. which I watch hot ones anyway. So <laughs> it's, it's funny to see the clips, but I never want to eat meat until I watch them eating wings. <laughs> and it, and sometimes I'm just like, damn, that looks good. And I know there's like some type of vegan or vegetarian version because of the people they have like mm -hmm. Natalie Portman and Jeff Goldblum and stuff like the, there, yeah. there are some people that are, that have had the the vegany wings uh, mm -hmm. on hot ones. And that's cool. You know, you, you 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 cater to your guests you make them feel at home, but it's still the same uh, sauces. Um, I like people that eat uh, most of the wing instead of taking like, you know, a tiny uh, little 
cowardly bite like jeff goldblum jeff goldblum's episode like it was so good other than the fact that he barely ate the skin on the wings i was getting or the breading mm-hmm. i was getting so annoyed i was like are you kidding me i just watched the kieran culkin one or saw clips from the kieran culkin one he goes in for seconds and he also keeps putting too much sauce on the wing <laughs> so funny i also um, don't like wasting food on top of that so it's like you know exactly show up to eat just eat 10 wings and like calm down <laughs> like just eat the wings yeah I get really it, it really turns me off when um when when people don't finish the wing or just truly only take like the smallest bite where they're barely tasting anything love you Jeff Goldblum but that was a cowardly move sir cowardly anyway second ending (laughs) has to do with fire and heat as well i'm picking more recent movies my third one is not a recent movie that's okay now there's one um drag me to hell that's that love it loved i i it came to mind for me again because i recently i recently we 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 watched it re-watched it come on chelsea recently re-watched it um which I kind of wish I didn't because Alamo is playing it Tuesday for Terror Tuesday, but I was like, I don't know if I want to see it <laughs> back to back, um, but it's cool that they're showing it. But uh, anyway, I recently watched it again. I always thought the movie was really fun, especially the unrated uh, version. Um, it's so gross in all of its like Sam Raimi glory. It's so great. Um, but for people who haven't seen it, oh, one thing that makes it even better, the actress, the main actress is a hardcore Republican now. No shit. So it makes it even more fun to watch. So yeah, she's crazy. I think she's like, I mean, nobody- Alison Lohman is a hardcore Republican? Yeah. Well, because we talked about this on our, our episode about the monster not being the villain and that- yeah, now now that makes sense with her political choices in that's like I'm going to put this old Romany lady out of her fucking home for the purposes of business and my own uh, uh, professional advancement. So that is Republican. Yeah, she is. Um, I'm just before before I say something uh, incorrect. I mean, I know I know that she's. Republican, or she's at least very conservative, and she left New York and does like acting classes now. But um, yeah, but Republican, yeah, her Twitter. I think she's anti-vax. I want to say she is, but I'm just trying to be mindful because she's no. no I get, I get it. Accuracy uh, certainly helps. Um, yeah, I've been wrong on this podcast about a great many things uh in the time that we've been doing it and uh frequently talking out of my ass but yeah i also uh love this ending uh as as we said before because you have a a horrible character um getting their comeuppance um which i may not have looked at it that way upon the first viewing but certainly uh on on repeated viewings uh, and having empathy uh, for older European ladies 
uh, like the ones that have raised me. It's like, you know, you, you want somebody to be kind and not just awful for a promotion. And, and the last few years have been hard. Be nice to fucking somebody, whether you know them or not. Yeah, it's, it's so strange because like she's built up to be a little bit of a the Allison Lomans character whose name I can't remember but also it does look like she's anti-vax because she's like retweeting anti-vax propaganda so what a moron anyway um her character is set up to be you know sympathetic in a way like she you know is in love with character Christine Christine thank you um you know she she's in a happy relationship but she's meeting like the parents they don't feel like she's good enough and she's trying to get this promotion and somebody could get unfairly promoted instead of her which you know such is life um and i've seen like some fair arguments over not necessarily pro christine but still like ma'am she was also doing her job <laughs> like it's it, it it happens um so i do go back and forth and like who's right when it comes to you know as for people who haven't seen it she uh she basically has to start being harder on um not extending loans or giving new loans um her boss wants to see her be you know more of a I, I don't know. He just a wants- corporate bastard person. There you go. Yeah, it's save the bank more money or something, um, or just like bleed m- more money out of people. Uh, so this old woman comes in whose loan has already been uh, like extended way too much, or um, she's like close to eviction or th- something to that regard, and. Christine, you know, rejects an extension or any forgiveness or anything like that. And the woman gets on her knees and is like begging and kissing her skirt. And she's like, no, stop. And then the old lady says, you know, you've embarrassed me. You've shamed me. Mrs. Ganush um, says, you have shamed me. Exactly. Exactly. And so. That's a your fucking peril, Christine. <laughs> And so Christine is later cursed um, to, I mean, she's condemned to hell and we've seen it before. Like the movie begins with a little boy being, you know, condemned and dragged to hell. Drugged by, by, yes, by the, by the Lamia. Yeah. And so we're basically watching the, the whole movie. We're watching her go through some really gross stuff. <laughs> like, just, just absolutely disgusting. Like a corpse falling on her and all the embalming fluid just going. <laughs> Goo Goo Muck in a Sam Raimi film? You don't say. You don't say. <laughs> and, um, and you see like eyeballs and cakes and you and everything i i have told rick this i wanted her to die the moment she killed her kitten <laughs> i yep. was like really you couldn't like i'm not saying one animal is more important than another but you couldn't get like a pigeon or like a like a i don't know something not I a mean, kitten you're not wrong i like cats but it, that that's that's christine looking get ahead professionally and then get out behind the eight ball that she put herself in thinking thinking about it now for the first time uh regarding corporate bastardy 
Um, you did all that. You tried to hoodwink your way out of shit. It's obviously uh, not working. <laughs> you, you, you fucked up. The cursed button uh, is still in your possession. Uh, and you're about to be dragged to hell. I like thinking that upon learning about her death, the bank promoted uh, her coworker and replaced her immediately because that's what corporations do. Oh yeah, it was nothing. Well, they were already like, what's wrong with you? Your nose is bleeding like crazy. You're disgusting, get out. Which <laughs> I mean, if somebody's nose like, or if they threw up blood on me or whatever happened, I'd also be like, please leave. <laughs> Now like you, go to a hospital. <laughs> so. You were younger than I, so you weren't around for the 1980s, where people in financial uh, businesses frequently did massive amounts of cocaine. So that's not as common today or when this film came out, but in the 80s, just blood all over the floors of Wall Street, firing out of nostrils with eroded septums. That was a real thing that happened. You want to hear something crazy? I saw Always. that this morning, um, just digressing for a tiny moment, but it is like a horror movie. Again, I was watching a TikTok and this woman had um, just put her eyeliner on and it was like really um, her eyeliner. She felt like something was wrong with it because a lot of it came out. It was really uh, liquidy and she felt like she had too much on her eye and she like moved, you know, like rubbed her eyelid a little bit. And all of the eyeliner like goes into her eye. Her entire like eyeball is black. Now I've got the douche chills. She was wearing contacts. So she like took the contacts out, but so much went into her eye. It started coming out of her nose and she was like, oh my God. And and she was fine like two seconds later, but (laughs) it was so gross. And she was just like showing, like she just made like a TikTok to be like, I think there's something wrong with this. And then suddenly her entire eyeball is black, like a demon. Anyway, she she may have been going through a possession. I think so. Cause the fact that, well, then she was like, God, I hope that that would be so funny if the black out of my nose happens in public. (laughs) I'm like, it would be kind of funny. Um, Anyway, had to digress there. So yes, Christine has a button um, that it's the button that's cursed from her coat pocket or not her coat pocket from her coat and uh, skipping, skipping ahead a little bit. She thinks that she conquered the curse when she gives the button that's in an envelope uh, back to the old lady, like jams it in her corpse. Um, and we think all is well. She meets Justin Long at the train station and we realize that she switched envelopes. She also gave, he's a coin collector and she gave him a coin that was also in an envelope, very similar to the, co- to the button one. So she shoved the coin in the corpse, not the actual cursed button. So Justin Long's about to give her the envelope saying, or the button saying, you know, oh, you must have swapped this or something of of that sense. And she falls in the train tracks um, and we see the train tracks open up. The train is coming, by the way. Yeah, the train is coming. So she's going to die either way, even if hell wasn't opening up. And um, hell opens up and it's, you know, fury and 
flames and lava and hands that are just grabbing her and dragging her down. You see this, the skin burning off. She's screaming. Justin Long's watching the whole thing. And then down to hell she goes and credits. Such a fun ending. I just, it, it's another one, I guess, kind of similar to Ready or Not. I'm like, oh, they really stuck the landing and they committed. Like, that's what I loved. Like, there was true commitment to the ending. Not very much as a surprise when it comes to Sam Raimi films. But um, it, it's great to see that, I mean, she ultimately lost. She just continued losing and then she lost. And now she's burning in hell for eternity. And that's uh, Jen, uh, sorry, Chelsea's euphemism for teaching acting somewhere in America when you're conservative and anti-vax. Exactly. Same thing. <laughs> <sighs> okay, my next ending uh, that I love, because it's, it's, it's high stakes. You don't get much higher than the stakes at the end of Cabin in the Woods. Um, nice you, 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 you've got your attractive young people going to say in the 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 titular uh domicile and uh things are going on outside of their purview uh there are machinations in place to satisfy old gods and there's uh monsters uh and bradley whitford just wants to see a motherfucking merman and it, the stoner is the savior. So it simultaneously uh, pokes fun at the genre and its tropes and also flips it on its head, which makes it for a really, really wonderful uh, journey. Uh, but then at the end of it all, uh, which the audience has, has learned that uh, these tropes they they're they're totemic they serve a purpose uh the athlete the slut the 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 nerd the fool they have to die the final girl the virgin her her death is optional but she must suffer and if that happens the world gets to continue and they choose not to let it happen they choose, like, I'm not going to kill my stoner friend who's tried to save me. Uh, and it costs everyone else on Earth their life as these old gods come back and just bitch slap the planet into oblivion. That, like, big hand yeah. <laughs> comes out. It's like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> um, I love that movie. I remember when I first watched it, I just thought it was going to be like a slasher or something with like a weird like bunker situation. Exactly. But it kind of, I mean, it is and more, but. We, oh we, we all thought that. We all thought we were going to get some kind of evil dead derivative thing and we did not. Yeah. And I did love that. Um, I love the ending really because they do choose. They're like, well, it kind of sounds like the world should maybe start over because this is terrible. <laughs> this is a terrible system. Um, I, uh, I've seen like, you know, people who are just chronically online and find everything to argue over people saying that it's ultimately selfish of them. And I'm like, excuse you, of course it's selfish, but at the same time, I don't know these pe most people in the world. I don't know a lot of them. 
were they worth dying for? I don't know. So it's, uh, I don't think it's really like a bad thing that they do. I kind of love that they're like, no, I'm not going to kill myself or I'm not going to kill my friend. Like, no. I love that. The, the, the people that are in control, once again, they get their comeuppance as every single fucking uh, creature and hobgoblin and, and, and weirdo clown and giant snake and wolf bat and whatever the fuck comes and gets you because you thought you were the puppet master of this situation and it's really i mean while these these uh company drones uh are not the the masters of these monsters uh the monster will always find a way to kill the master it, it, it's inevitable but, yeah uh, the ending with when the when the facility starts getting just torn apart by all of those types of different types of monsters is so good and so that, satisfying to watch yes and that, that ominous ding of the elevators yes <laughs> and then like and and yeah, much like perfect. ready or not you've got blood hitting the ceiling it's a beautiful thing <laughs> i love it oh that's a that's a good one um chris hemsworth is so good in that it's actually one of my favorite roles by him now that i think about it i don't think i've seen chris hemsworth in a lot because i haven't watched any of the avengers movies yeah um, I, I, I think that was filmed before it was i think before. right yeah um and yeah other than that i really only recall seeing him in the perfect getaway and most everything else has been thor Ghostbusters. He was so funny in Ghostbusters. Yeah, well, yes, yes. That, yeah, that I was, just that forgot was, about that until now. It's like, oh, that wait. Was, so that was during the Thor run. And I'm mm -hmm. like, oh, yeah, then he needs to do comedy. And in Thor Ragnarok, he did. And it's very, very funny. Did you like God and Thunder or whatever that movie was called? The most recent one? Yeah. I felt it was disjointed. Disjointed. I felt like, I felt like it tried to be a family film on one hand and a horror movie on the other so i hope christian bale traumatized a few kids uh the weirdest part about that for me is there's a lot of guns and roses music in thor god and thunder and i'm a long in the tooth motherfucker with gray in my beard and i remember in my junior high school days Guns N' Roses was the most dangerous band in the world. And now they are prominently featured throughout a Disney slash Marvel film. It is kind of fascinating where, and I'm taking this from a purely like previews and trailers and commercials and marketing perspective, because I haven't seen most of these movies. But when I even saw John Wick 4 yesterday, they played a, uh, a trailer for the newest Guardians of the Galaxy movie. And that had like a classic rock song to it. And I feel like so many of the Marvel movies, at least the ones that are a little bit, I don't know if sillier is the right word, but I just feel like I'm always seeing like a classic rock soundtrack to them. Um, and it's usually uh, bands like Guns N' Roses. But again, I don't know if they're actually in the movie. It's just how they're being marketed. And I don't know if that's the way of getting the adults along with the kids. I, I don't know. That I don't know. With Guardians of the Galaxy, it actually plays into the plot yeah because he has like a i don't know i'm not going to pretend i know what i'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah the character of peter quill his his deceased mother made him a mixtape of uh 
super sounds of the 70s, if you were. So in that, it makes sense to it. For Guns N' Roses to be used in Thor, God and Thunder, uh, my guess is, uh, you know, old people like myself are now music supervisors at the at Marvel Studios, and uh, Axl Rose will take a check. I guess it's that whole like nostalgic era that's hitting too, where everybody, mm-hmm. even things that people weren't alive for, they're nostalgic for it, and it's it's very interesting to me. In in the case of Guns N' Roses, good tunes is good tunes. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's true um my brain broke for a second sorry that's okay <laughs> you, you got one more movie to tell us about i children. do i was i was debating over which would be the third and which would be the honorable mention and i think i made up my mind um right. so the third one not super recent but in the past like 30 years uh ew, 30 years <laughs> hold on <laughs> let me do the math 20 30, years 30 years ago rick was 16 <laughs> and had seen guns and roses so this is 30 years is wrong i think i meant like 20 but um not as much uh, is, that, is that what you're trying to tell us i don't know it just it, it was weird to think this movie came out 30 years ago and i'm very sure i'm wrong and it's 20 years ago um yep 20 years ago uh saw the first saw so it came out in 2004 i Um, I almost added that to my list oh man such a good ending uh and it it keeps getting better (laughs) some would argue but the first one the first one you know the first saw movie almost everyone that i come across that's a horror fan that is not fans of the saw franchise will at the very least say the first one is really good um which is fair because it goes truly off the rails after after the first one it becomes like money grabs for every halloween still fun i know the entire lore i could do win a trivia night easily just off the Saw franchise. Um, speaking, anyway. speaking of which, we still need to talk to Brianna's sake about the Saw films. Uh, so if you're listening, Brianna, uh, you, you got to come back. Anyway. Yes. Oh my God. Anyway, love Saw movies. Uh, they also know how to respect a running time. They're all like maybe 80 minutes. <laughs> so, <laughs> Except for this one. I think the first one is actually kind of long. Um, but for those who haven't seen it or need a refresher, Um, The movie starts with two men, uh, you know, coming to waking up uh, in a very dingy bathroom type of room, a bathroom, a large bathroom. Um, And they're both uh, handcuffed or, well, not handcuffed, ankle cuffed. They're, They're in leg irons. Jesus Christ. I can't with words. Leg irons. Yes. Um, So they cannot move. There's a tape recorder that we get introduced to the fabulous, legendary, iconic, always serving Jigsaw. Um, wait, wait, wait. What does always serving mean? He just serves. He serves cunt. I've heard, I've heard young people say that. And while I like the phrase, <laughs> I'm not entirely sure what it means, but I know I like it. It, you pick up on context clues like i mean he serves he slays okay. yeah do, do i serve cunt 
not in the way Jigsaw does, but okay, but not in the way Jigsaw does. Right. Nobody, you know, like Jigsaw coming in on the little tricycle, like <laughs> that's that's serving. That is serving. Anyway, I learned a new one, and it's let him cook. Have you? Heard I, I cook. I, I I I I do like to grill uh, and cook and yeah. make food for people. Let let him cook or let her cook, something like that. Anyway, not, not the point. Um, so uh, we get introduced to Jigsaw saying that he would like to play a game. And we start learning more about these two characters. One of them is a doctor who was treating um, the person who, who is Jigsaw uh, and not treating him well. He was a shitty doctor, like no bed bedside manner, like at all. Dr. He was also- he was so bad and he was also uh you know i think fooling around uh behind his wife's back um and the other guy in the room is a photographer uh who takes photos of people in their most uh un you know not not great moments and <laughs> um <laughs> catching them catching them in the act and uh you find or you continue finding out the ways like these two are connected to each other why they're in the room what exactly is jigsaw jigsaw is this killer who sets up traps um he doesn't actually kill anyone he doesn't actually kill he people puts them in death traps and they can either escape or if they fail they die it's true it's true and it he does make a point like jigsaw has a code he has integrity and he always makes it where you can get out of his traps. You may be maimed, you may lose a limb, you may be psychologically broken for the rest of your life, but you can get out of the trap. There will now, be blood. There yes. will. <laughs> and so we see like flashbacks and crime scenes of the different different traps that he's put people through. We've seen we see one person who survived a trap. Um, but the reason he does it is he is um he has you know brain cancer or a tumor something that is incurable he only has months to live if that um but legacy lives forever and uh he is doing this to people his victims are people who he believes are taking their lives for granted so drug addicts adulterers um suicidal people um yeah, just people that uh, that he feels, you know, if they get to live longer than he does, they should be they should be grateful for that. Um, so he he wants them. He almost wants them to make it out of their trap and be and be grateful that they lived. Um, so kind of skipping to the end because I also realized maybe I should have rewatch this movie when I was going to talk about it because now I'm remembering all the little plot points um but skipping to the end uh we start to hear the infamous you know saw music well right before that uh Dr. Gordon Gordon's yes. name right yes. um saws off his own foot to get out of the leg iron it's the moment we had all we all knew it was coming we all knew it was coming the first five minutes of the movie, especially when he has that line, like he doesn't want us to cut through the chains. He wants us to cut through our feet. Um, and so 
he, <laughs> in a moment of desperation to protect like his wife and kids, he saws off his foot and is dragging himself out of the room obviously like delirious and bleeding profusely um and we now have the photographer in the room alone the saw the infamous saw music the jigsaw theme um starts playing uh and the guy there's a I should have probably mentioned this at the beginning um there's a dead man in the center of the room uh, who looks bloodied, uh, from a, from a head wound, uh, who had a tape recorder slowly starts to get up and everybody, well, not everybody, the photographer is making the best. What's his name? Lee, uh, Lee Wannell. Lee Wannell. was, uh, the co-writer. Yeah. And has later and gone on to direct. He's fantastic. He makes the best. What the fuck? Like mm-hmm. face, like he's just, he's so scared and shocked and and, you know, and all of us in the audience are also shocked because he's dr gordon's nearly uh comatose patient from earlier in the film played by tobin bell exactly and so um so he slowly gets up and locks the photographer in the room and has his line about like, what does he say? Like some people game are so over. ungrateful to be alive. And then then he says like game over and and slams him, slams the door shut and locks him in there. Um, it's just such a great like twisty what the fuck moment that the other movies truly try to just keep, they, they try to keep uh, re like encapsulating that and they mostly don't. I mean, nothing's ever going to top that. There are like, again, I'm biased because I do actually love the movies. I feel like even though they're big, like, especially once you get to like four or five and six, they're just such like shameless cash grabs. They still like the way they build the universe and the twist, you know, there's going to be a twist at the end of every single one. It's just so fun. So I do think uh, Saw 3D had a pretty stellar twist ending. Um, and Not the third great. volume, by the way. That was the seventh uh, volume? Yes, that's the seventh. And um, the one that killed the franchise for a little while. Yeah, because I think that one like didn't even, it, it either didn't make its budget back or it barely It did. was the first film of the franchise that did not debut at number one. Yes, that's, I knew there was something that was like the nail in no, the No, si- so six speak. was the one. So rather than going to nine as originally planned, they're like, we're wrapping this up in the next one. Mm-hmm. And that one, I, it's not as fun to rewatch because, uh, except for the ending, because it was it was filmed for 3D and all the blood is really pink. Um, so it's, it's kind of like Final Destination 4, where you can tell what kills were made for 3D and they look so obnoxiously fake. Um, and it doesn't have that grittiness that, that the others have, but anyway, not point. Um, but yeah, that ending, I remember first watching Saw, I, I watched it when it came out. So I was 13 and I didn't see it in theaters no one would take me and I wasn't really good at sneaking in theaters uh but my older sister so it came out on dvd like a few months later or on vhs one or the other probably dvd um and my sister was in love with it she saw it in theaters and we watched it like the night it 
came out on DVD and I thought I was so scared. It was so good. And the ending, I was, I don't think I breathed through it. So I love Saw. It's, I love that franchise, but that movie is great. Carrie Elwes is great in it. Lee's great in it. Everybody in it is great. Danny Glover is one. It, it is. Danny Glover it, is fantastic in it. Oh, I can't remember. I didn't, or I can't believe I didn't mention him. It, well, it, it doesn't factor into the ending too much. It does get a lot of flack for everything that came after it, the entire torture porn genre uh, of films. And and that makes that makes sense because uh, uh, a, a lot of bullshit followed it. Um, uh, including its own sequels. And when you rush to get a film in theaters the following year, you're not giving a lot of time to write a good script. You're mostly coming up with, how can we kill people differently? That's what made you nervous about Scream 6, right? That, that yes, because Scream 6 came out a year later and I'm like, are we going into Saw territory in rushing this and not taking the time? But uh, I'm delightfully surprised that franchise is handled uh, with love, and I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, that that first saw uh, as Zepp's overture plays, and everything gets revealed, and it, it, you even see it further in the sequels. Uh, Jigsaw is like if Batman and the Riddler were awful. Because uh, he's got contingencies for contingencies on top of contingencies. Everything is played out so far in advance. That his character can die in the third one and still things move forward. Uh, but yeah, it definitely, if you're going to watch one, watch that one. Oh my gosh. And I just had the most vivid memory of you and I going and seeing Jigsaw. <laughs> yes. That, thank you not, to, that's technically what the eighth one uh yes thank you to amanda stafford for giving us the free passes to that because i didn't feel like paying for it and chelsea and i are there just like elbowing each other mm-hmm. in the ribs going what the fuck are we watching <laughs> it was crazy <laughs> it was fuckers uh, uh, a failed attempt to revive the franchise anywho yeah uh so my last film uh we're going a little bit old uh, but it's appropriate as we record this on, on Easter. Uh, my favorite musical, by the way, The Wicker Man. <laughs> right when you said musical, I was like, I know what this fucker is about to say. <laughs> oh, nothing can delight so as does the part that lies between her left toe and her right toe. They're singing about pussy. Anyway, <laughs> the landlord's daughter, played by the lovely Britt Eklund, in this fantastic fucking film, uh, Christopher Lee's favorite movie he ever did. Uh, we've talked about uh, the 100 scariest movies before. I had not seen it before uh, watching that uh, series and thought, I need to watch this fucking thing because it looks awesome. And it is uh, a detective goes to Summer Isle, there's a missing girl, he tries to find her, he is a Christian cop among all these pagans, and he's judging the fuck out of them. Uh, As a nerd who's still a grown adult as a virgin, uh, tempted by the landlord's daughter, uh, wondering, how have you never taught the children about Jesus? 
only to realize at the end of the film, as they have their large celebration in hopes of a good harvest, that he is the dum-dum that's going to be put in a wicker man along with numerous other animals as it's lit on fire and sacrificed to the gods for a better harvest next year. You're the fool. Fuck you. The girl's not even missing. We just hit her to get you here. You dumbest of fucks. I love, um, I love the old Wicker Man. I saw the remake before I ever saw the first one. I do not acknowledge that film. Um, the ending is terrifying and it's just oh god the idea of like being stuck and with just a bunch of religious fanatics um in, in a place where you just easily get sacrificed for something they truly believe is going to happen uh and they let him cook <laughs> because a cab includes sergeant howie <laughs> let him cook I need to watch that one again. I haven't watched The Wicker Man in a in a long time, and I, there's no particular reason I haven't revisited it. I just remember seeing the ending so many times because it's on that, or you know, close to the ending. Um, it's it's on that 100 scariest movie moments. So, because the whole thing is wonderful, and the fact that there are musical numbers, yeah, <laughs> uh, and it fits in uh, as we record this on Easter. Like I said, it's. Uh, the springtime pagan fertility ritual uh, and, and, you know, kids dancing around the maypole uh, and learning that, you know, the, the, the March hare will fuck. It is inevitable. Um, people uh, dancing naked around a flame and jumping over it, probably singeing their bush. It was the 70s. Uh, but, you know, that, that, that's, who are we to king shame? <laughs> in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Should and that be my Easter watch today? It is on Shutter. I, I might choose it to, to watch it today. I like it. Oh my God. I'll watch that in the mist. Yeah. Nice. That's a way to spend the holiday. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on the podcast, but back when I worked in a video store, uh, I would work Sundays. So every time it was Easter, being the former Catholic schoolboy that I was, I would put on a, a cult-themed horror movie. So The Exorcist, The Omen, uh, Prophecy, starring Christopher Walken. Uh, uh, and now The Wicker Man fits in along with you know, numerous other uh, movies. Um, however, um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, propose this idea to my my wonderful uh, co-host on mic and live. Uh, not seeing the Pope's Exorcist in the theater, I refuse because I want to make fun of those accents in the home. So Chelsea, yeah, I saw. Sorry, and I did see your text about it, and I mentally agreed. <laughs> I, I have a bad habit, and and I've told Rick this before, and anybody who knows me, I have a bad habit of reading a text and being like, "Yeah," but not texting that <laughs> just in my head because I'll think, "Oh, I'll, yeah, I'll reply later." So it's a and and, and she doesn't, <laughs> and then I don't. Um, I agree. you're not the only person. I'm not the only person that, that does that. 
Yes. So formally, will you watch the Pope's Exorcist in the home with beautiful lady and I, so we can we can mock uh, Russell Crowe's Italian accent? Oh my God, I just love when Russell Crowe thinks he can do accents in general. He can um, do an accent his own. Yeah, exactly. Um, he's, yeah, he seems to be a glutton for punishment with like, he'll, he can't sing, so he'll do musicals. He can't do an accent, so he does it. His American accent ain't bad. In Nice Guys, an American gangster, he's oh, all right. Fair enough, fair enough, yeah. He also like choked Azalea Banks once, like at a party or punched her, one or the other. Uh, that doesn't sound nice, even though I don't know who you're talking about. Yeah, she's a rapper. Um, okay. He's kind of crazy, but not I, like deserving of Russell Crowe. I've heard, I've heard he's prone to violence back in the day. Yeah. Um, I, I don't. Oh, know. this was maybe like 10, 15 years ago. I don't think you should choke rappers in general, because worst case scenario, you got beef and uh, you got a, an East Coast, West Coast situation. Best case scenario, you're going to be on multiple diss tracks and people will just clown you as they pass you in public. That, so. It was that. And also, I remember he like put up a fit because he couldn't bring his, uh, what are those stupid things? Like those hoverboards that people ride on. He couldn't take that on a plane because of the battery or whatever. He is an old ass man. He up why, such a fit over it. Why would he want one of those? I think it could have been his son's, but still like, it, it's just one of those things where do your research, like you can't bring those on a plane. Thanks, Bill. But man. yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, do you have any honorable mentions? I have a couple of quick ones, like rapid fire ones. Us, uh, which we, we talked about previously because it, it tricked you into rooting for, Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the villain, the antagonist, uh, the entire time, uh, in a roundabout kind of way. So red was justified in her vengeance uh but didn't get it <laughs> so you're you're cheer you're cheering on for the monster survival unknowingly mm-hmm. and then you got that little like smile at the end you're like, and, and, ah! it pa- and it pairs beautifully with uh minnie ripperton's song at the end uh, it, it it's so uh majestic in its crescendo of all of these tethered are out there in the world. Uh, I don't think it needs a sequel, but there's so many individual stories of those tethered that somebody could have fun with that. But I hope I never see it. Just leave it as it is. It's Mm -hmm. perfection. What about you? What are your honorable mentions? Um, they're very, they're very quick. There's, there's three that come to mind, uh, just, and it, it really is just because of the final shots of them. I love the final like shot and ending of the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like that's, I mean, that's a classic. I don't think anyone can really disagree with that. Just Leatherface waving out of frustration and knowing, um, wasn't the actor like truly just frustrated when, when he did that. Uh, not Gunnar Hansen, not that I'm aware of. As I always like to say, fuck you, Franklin. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, that is, that is a timeless, timeless sentiment. Um, I love the final frame in uh, final destination when Kerr Smith just goes, well, who's next. And then the frame like, or the, the signs just about to hit him. And then it goes black and you hear the impact of the sign hit him. I love that. Like that's just such a, such a great ending. And then one that's just incredibly stupid going back to James Wan for a second. Um, is uh the ending of dead silence because of how unplausible that shit is <laughs> there's, shit. there's no way you could just puppeteer a corpse like that for that long <laughs> like that's just not there are two weekend at bernie films and i believe <laughs> that you can like the way ugh, when they show show the corpse like the puppet corpse like eating soup and it mm -hmm. going like down and stuff but at the same time i do also love that ending like that oh. ending's just like what <laughs> that movie is one time I, I i got a stomach bug uh but i i put on that dvd and when you're feverish and dehydrated and delirious and then you wake up to the clown baby puppet uh, my exact sentiment was like, I'll fucking fight you. In my, in, there I am on the couch in my delirium, uh, pale and looking near death. And Mary Shaw was creepy too. Creepy, creepy lady. Yeah. But, and I still, I don't even remember, like, I'm going to have to go back and look because I, I still don't think it makes sense. Like, was the stepmom Mary Shaw? Was she the daughter yes. of Mary Shaw? Which she was, like, she was Mary Shaw? That was another puppet that she inhabited. Oh, like an actual woman, a body? Her, 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 um, uh, perfect creation, if you will. You see the blueprints during the credits of of the perfect puppet what yes so i have to watch through the credits to understand that the opening credits yes oh the opening credits oh i probably wasn't paying attention there oh. you go sorry james <laughs> oh shit <laughs> the stepmom's the perfect creation yes okay <laughs> I just thought like, I was like, what, where do you come in? <laughs> so... Perfect puppet and clown baby. And Donnie Wahlberg. And again, as an old uh, who remembers when the new kids on the block were actually children, uh, there was a part of me that really gets a charge out of watching him die in a film. Because all, all, all the girls in the class love the new kids on the block and I'm going through puberty and I'm like, fuck those guys. You and, liked uh, the old kids on the corner. I am now the old kid on the corner. <laughs> the, right old man, the old man on the corner, bringing it back to uh, Cabin in the Woods and my <laughs> ultimate destiny of being the harbinger. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Don't you shouldn't be going around here. <laughs> yes. Oh my god. And, and he's like, "Am I on speakerphone?" <laughs> or like, <laughs> it's got a death curse. That's my future. I just need like a bucket hat or some other bullshit. <laughs> but yeah, so those are mine. I learned something new today. You, you've you've got a triple feature. You got to get. Those. I know. Apparently, I'm like, well, damn. <laughs> Oh my God. You're welcome. Yeah. yeah. So where can the people find you if they won't find you? They can find me on Twitter 
um, for as long as that platform's alive. Uh, and on Instagram under Chelsea Bennington, just look me up and you'll find me. Cool. You can check out Spooky Doings Improv on Facebook. I am happy to announce we have a show coming up Saturday, May 13th at 3 p.m. in Brooklyn at Young Ethel's. It is a free show. There's a one drink minimum. Uh, if you're in the vicinity, come support us, uh, buy some drinks. If we pack the place, hopefully that can be our new home venue yeah. uh, with a lot of success. Chelsea's going to be there. A lot of the people that you've heard on this podcast uh, over the years will be there. It's going to be a fun time getting silly. It's a nice place. I went, I did a tech training. Uh, there's a Munsters pinball game and some spooky decorations. So I have a good feeling about this place. And I want to thank Amanda for helping us land this gig. Uh, so, so thank you. Uh, and, and I love you. Uh, Spooky Doings is on Instagram. Uh, I'm at Rick Guzman 718 uh, on the Tweety. Not as much spooky. A lot of wrestling tweets lately. lately I got to admit that. I'm and enjoying them. Yeah, going to give a shout out to our dear friend, Tom Rizzuto, who played guitar at the recent AEW show at the UBS Arena during a segment. Can't see much of him on TV, but I'm very proud to say that Tom Rizzuto is all elite and by proxy that makes spooky doings all elite. So if you didn't, you didn't know that, Chelsea, but now you are also all elite. <gasps> Yay, what an honor. <laughs> Thank you. So in the meantime and in between time, everybody, uh, tell a friend about the show, uh, subscribe, uh, review, give us a five-star boop. That'll help us out in the grand scheme of things. And stay good, stay healthy, stay spooky. Bye.